Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Dan Gerard. It's amazing how the enemy of God and the enemy of the human family dreads to have certain subjects dealt with. And I really believe that this is one of the ones he does not want us to be enlightened upon in the generation that we are living in. We're looking at a series of presentations on the subject of the resurrection season. And today we're focusing on the subject of a tree that makes bitter waters sweet. In your mind and in your heart, what does the word bitter mean? The dictionary has several definitions for bitter, and each one is dependent upon the context in which the word is used. Bitter can refer to something that does not taste good, it's distasteful. Bitter can refer to something that's painful to us. Bitter can also refer to having ill feelings toward or about someone. So today we're looking at a tree, a tree that makes bitter water sweet. After God had shown his great work in behalf of Israel and against the Egyptians through the ten plagues and at the Red Sea, Moses was inspired by God to lead the Israelites into the wilderness of Shur. They traveled for three days, and during those days they found no water to replenish their supply. Finally, they came to a place that promised to be the answer to their predicament, because there they saw some waters, some waters that they assumed they could take a long drink from and relieve their thirst. I want to pick up the account as recorded in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 23. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it is called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And Moses cried unto the Lord, and underscore, The Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees. And they encamped there 
by the waters. If you will look closely with me, you can almost see the Israelites as they ran eagerly toward those alluring waters. You can see them as they fall on their knees, men and women and children alike. You can see them as they dip their hands in the water and and bring that long sought for water up to their lips. But then suddenly, we see them as they leap to their feet and begin spitting the water to the ground. You see, the water was bitter. And so the place was called Marah, which literally means bitterness. And I want you to notice their reaction. It was with a united rage that the people turned against Moses. They began to murmur and they started to complain. You see, how soon they had forgotten the mighty acts of deliverance that God had displayed through Moses, his chosen vessel. Can you sense just for a moment how Moses must have felt? As their words and as their actions begin to cut deep into his heart, deeper than any physical knife could ever penetrate, can you sense how the leader must have felt? What was happening? They were actually becoming bitter in their minds and in their hearts against Moses. But it's very refreshing to notice that that Moses did not lash out toward the Israelites. Moses, despite their bitterness, did not retaliate with the same type of malice and bitterness. But rather, Moses exhibited a genuine display of concern. The Bible says and records that he cried unto the Lord. In fervent prayer, Moses presented the issue to God, and then Moses waited for the answer. He didn't have to wait long, because the Lord heard the cry of Moses, and God showed Moses a tree, a tree that was to be cut down and to be cast into the waters. No one knows what kind of tree that was. And as far as we are aware, there is no species of tree like that in Israel or anywhere else in the world today. It may have been a special tree that God made just for that one occurrence. Or it may have been a normal tree a tree that was seen quite often. The important thing is not what kind of tree it was. The important thing for us is that Moses obeyed God. And when Moses obeyed God, a miracle took place. 
The miracle of bitter waters, undrinkable waters being transformed by the power of God into waters that were made sweet to the taste. You see, it was at Marah where bitter waters were transformed into sweet waters through the instrumentality of a tree that God made for them a statute and ordinance. In verse 26, God gave a promise. A promise that hinged upon a fourfold requirement for obedience. Now, we're going to take a look at that promise in just a few moments, but before we do, I want us first of all to notice this fourfold requirement. God said that they were, first of all, to diligently hearken to his voice. Secondly, God said that they were to do that which was right in his sight. Thirdly, God said that they were to give ear to his commandments. And then fourthly, God said that they were to keep all his statutes. It was at Marah. It was at a place of bitterness. It was at a place of the tree that Israel was given the opportunity to accept the plan of God. The plan of God that would ensure their security. You see, God had placed diseases upon the Egyptians. God had sent plagues upon them. Because they refused to hearken to the voice of God. They shunned that which was right. They did not listen to the commandments of God. And they failed to keep the divine statutes. And because of this, they suffered. They suffered in their body. And they suffered in their spirit. And it was all because of disobedience. And now God is calling Israel at Marah, a place of bitterness, the place of the tree. God is calling them to obedience. And then God said, as recorded in verse 26, Israel if you will follow in the path that is right, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. Oh, how inspiring that must have been to the people to hear that promise. But the last part of verse 26 must have excited them almost beyond expression. For God said, Israel, I am the Lord that healeth thee. There at that place, at Marah, at the place of bitterness, at the place of the tree that became significant in the journey of Israel, God said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. What was God saying? For well, sure, God had healed their thirsty physical condition. 
And God had given them sweet waters to replace the bitter waters. But the promise of God included healing much more than just the physical. You see, God wanted to heal their bitter mental outlook on things. God wanted to heal their bitter social acceptance of Moses being the appointed leader. God wanted to heal their bitter spiritual observance so that they could understand that all things were working together for their good. If they would just heed the statute and the ordinance of divine origin, God would take care of them. What an incentive to obey. It's also very encouraging to notice that after leaving Marah, verse 27 records, they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. Would you allow me to spiritualize this application? that translated into a physical blessing for them. Twelve wells of water. That's one well for each month of the year. Seventy palm trees. That is a palm tree for each year of a man's average life expectancy. <laughs> You see, God was leading them to a place to understand the significance of a tree. Let's back up just a little bit for a history lesson. You see, ever since the experience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, bitterness had been the part of the life and of the living of mankind. And a tree was linked to that bitterness. Do you remember the account? It was when the first couple disobeyed God and ate of the fruit from that forbidden tree, that bitterness became a part of both the personality and the practice of the human family. The moment they ate of that forbidden tree, bitterness that had never been known before by the human family came into existence. But at Marah, there was an object lesson being given. An object lesson about something that would take place in the future where another tree would play a vital role in the life and living of not only the human family, but of all of creation that was groaning for relief. A little over 2,000 years ago, the world was in a state of extreme bitterness. Spiritual darkness was penetrating to every corner and every crack and every crevice of society. And there seemed to be no solution to that bitterness. Men and women 
and young people were cursing and complaining. Cursing and complaining as the harsh hand of the enemy was squeezing the very joy out of life itself. You see, they had knelt at the educational waters of that day. They had knelt at the political waters of that day. They had knelt at the financial waters of that day. They had knelt at the religious waters of that day, hoping to have their thirst quenched. But they arose in disappointment because everywhere they went, everywhere they looked, there was bitterness. And even as the people murmured against Moses at Marah, the people some 2,000 years ago murmured against the Christ. And their bitterness erupted into a demand that he be crucified. You see, bitterness was at a zenith. Bitterness was at a pinnacle. Bitterness was at a height of display. But there, at that place, at that time, a tree once again came into focus. No one knows what species of tree it was, and that's really not important. But this we do know, that tree was shaped into the form of a crude, cruel, rugged cross. This heavy tree was placed on the back of the Son of God. And toward the bitter agony of Calvary, toward the bitter agony of the heel of skulls, he shuffled until he fell exhausted between the weight, beneath the weight of that tree. And as he lay there beneath the weight of that tree, someone from the crowd was grasped and forced to assist him in his final steps. When the group reached the hill outside of Jerusalem, the tree was laid on the ground and the beaten, bloody body of Christ was stretched on that tree. And strong, sinful hands took hammer and nails and drove them through his hands and through his feet. When he was secured to the cross, the tree was raised and the tree was dropped into the bitter earth. The tree was cast into the bitterness which had been made so by the awful touch of Satan for hundreds and thousands of years. The bitter touch of Satan that had caused multitudes to curse God and to blaspheme his name. Upon the tree, see him hang. 
and from the tree hear him say, in great pain and almost unthinkable agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, it's finished. And in that moment, the bitterness that had plagued the earth was overcome by another force. A force far stronger. Bitterness was overcome by the sweet, sweet, sweet spirit of love. And John 3.16 became a reality. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him might not perish, but might have everlasting life. Luke chapter 23 records some graphic illustrations of this. In verse number 42, the bitterness that had infected the life of one of those thieves who hung on another cross beside Christ disappeared as he looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 47, the bitterness departed from the voice of the Roman centurion who was at Calvary he had served as part of that crucifixion team. But as he witnessed the Savior dying for mankind, hear him as he glorified God saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. You see, my friends, it was there at the cross. It was there at that tree that the statute and ordinance of redemption's plan was sealed with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And it's there at the tree that God proves every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. You see, there is no other way to have a bitter life changed except at the old rugged tree. Well, there are some temporary fixes. And there are ways that might seem right and, and beneficial to us, but none of them are permanent. So again, I proclaim with lip and with life, there is no other way to have a bitter life changed except at the old rugged tree, because it's there that the miracle takes place. And just as there was a promise made to physical Israel at Marah, there is a promise made to every person who will enter the conviction scene of Calvary. For Jesus says to every one of us, 
if you'll come to me, he says, if you will abide in me, I will put none of those diseases upon you that I put upon the world. Will you agree with me that the Christian whose life has been made sweet through Jesus will not suffer some of the things that afflict the lives of those who have never tasted that the Lord is sweet? Would you agree with me on that? Oh, we could make a whole list of things at this juncture, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And my friends, listen intently to the promise that was made to physical Israel at Marah and is made to you and to me today. I am the Lord that healeth thee. What is God saying to us? God is promising that Everything you and I need for a healthy Christian life, everything we need for a dynamic witness to this world has been provided in the atonement. Healing for the spirit. Healing for the mind. Healing for the body. Healing in accordance with God's word, God's will, and God's way. And Jesus broadcasts to every one of us through the dynamics of his spirit that all of our need will be supplied according to his riches in glory. God is still in the healing business. You see, all the benefits of Calvary's tree can never be exhausted. Because from Calvary's tree flow rivers of living water whose source can never, can never, can never be contaminated. Is your life bitter? Is there something about your living that is bitter? Do you desire to have a sweeter relationship with Heavenly Father? Is there a need... For you to have a sweeter testimony toward others. If there is, I challenge and encourage you to allow the source, to allow the Christ of the tree to perform a miracle of transformation. There are many scripture passages that highlight this miracle of transformation. But there is one that should be especially precious to us during this resurrection season. It's found in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. May I repeat that? If not for your benefit, for my benefit, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. And then, as if in anticipation 
of someone asking, but Jesus, why would you allow yourself to hang on a tree? Why would you allow yourself to become the cursed one? Listen to the response that resounds for all of time and eternity. That. Listen. This is why Christ hung on that tree. This is why he took the curse of sin and mankind upon himself. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Why did he hang on that old rugged cross? Why did he become the cursed one on that tree? Listen. So that we, so that you, so that I, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. <laughs> That's exciting. That's a message of hope. Is there anybody else here besides me who would just like to say hallelujah about now? <laughs> That's the why. And so again I ask, is your life bitter? Is there something about your living that's bitter? Do you desire to have a sweeter relationship with the Heavenly Father? Are you in need of a sweeter testimony toward others? If you are, then allow the source, the Christ of the tree, to perform a miracle of transformation. A miracle of of turning bitterness into sweetness. Praises to God. Burdens are lifted where? Burdens are lifted at Calvary. And I am inviting you at this very moment to resolve with me that during this resurrection season, we allow the words of that beloved hymn to pulsate afresh and anew in our minds and in our hearts. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down and I will cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. Father, thank you for the sweetness of Jesus, wherein bitter lives and living can be changed. Dr. Dan Gerard is the pastor of University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. 
You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.